Good morning, church. So I read this article um, from July 8, 2019. And it, uh, it started off by saying, a 20-year-old man in Washington State, how cool is that? Uh, this person is fighting the pain of serious burns after he rushed back into a burning house to save his eight-year-old niece. The uncle suffered second and third degree burns, saving Mercedes, that was the girl's name, when a fire broke out at the family's home. I ran down the stairs, he says, even though I got burnt, started catching the kids. I caught Junior, and then I caught baby Rory out of the window, Bert said. But Mercedes was afraid to jump, and when her mom fell off the roof, the little girl retreated into the burning room. She was screaming my name. So I wasn't going to just let her sit there and burn. I wasn't going to let my niece die. So I ran up the stairs and pushed through the fire. I could feel it burning me. I got her and took my shirt off and put it around her face so she wouldn't breathe in any smoke, and I just carried her out as fast as I could. After the rescue... Bird, Bird, Mercedes, and Juniors were all airlifted to the hospital. The 20-year-old is now being hailed as a hero, but from his hospital bed, he says it was simply love that fueled him. And this is what he says, quote, I can't say I'm a hero. I just say I care for my niece and nephews. I wasn't going to let them die. I'd do it again. I really would. I don't care. I really would. I'd run back in there and do it again, even if I got burnt worse or died. Anybody here ever, and I hate to make you remember this, but, you know, has anybody here ever had their house catch on fire? Some of you, okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a terrible thing, right? And you got to go in there and you got to grab stuff, hopefully... There's not too many humans left in there, right? Or, or animals. And, you know, I just read another story about the, these firefighters that went and rescued the two puppies from a burning home. You know, so, so there's always this going on where, where there's these fires, and when a fire happens, the first thing that, that you say to yourself is who's inside or what's inside, and how do we get them out of there? Someone uh, once asked the famous evangelist Billy Graham, they asked, if your house was on fire and you could remove only one thing, what would it be? And true to Billy Graham's ways, he said, I would remove the fire. I think he meant the passion, right? I would remove that. That's what I need. That's what we all need more of. I want to take you to a story in the Old Testament about a rescue from fire. Uh, and it's found in the book of Zechariah. Uh, and, and it starts off like this. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. This is a vision that Zechariah is having. This is after the Jews had been returning back from exile. And their whole place, is, Jerusalem, is just in, in rubbles. And, 
And so now they're having to rebuild and everything. And, and they know that part of this reason is because they had disobeyed God. And now they're coming back to God. And so, you know, God is trying to give them some encouragement. And, and so now all of a sudden, Zechariah has this vision. And he says, he showed me Joshua the high priest. This is the vision Zechariah has, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, if you read your Bible carefully, every time, it doesn't say a angel of the Lord. Every time it says the angel of the Lord, it's referring to none other but Jesus, who uh, appeared in the Old Testament. But they couldn't call him Jesus because he hadn't been born yet as a human. And so they, they keep calling him, because angel, by the way, you know, we always think of angel as some, some, some being with wings and everything. But angel just means what? messenger right that's all that word means and and if you read through you'll you'll see the angel of the lord meets the other joshua on the way to jericho and joshua says whose side are you on and he says oh uh, you know what's important here is that you're on my side <laughs> that's really what's important not whose side i'm on uh then uh, there's so, so there's this angel that fights with uh, jacob and, and he wrestles with jacob it was the uh, 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 um uh a, a night that changed Jacob's life forever. And that was the angel of the Lord. And that angel of the Lord it was God, always, constantly. And so here we have this vision, and there is the angel of the Lord. And it says here, this is interesting, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. So all of a sudden what you have is this kind of like real biblical courtroom drama scene. Anybody been in a courtroom drama recently? I just got called the jury dury. I know, man, I can't stand it. I had a call in yesterday to see if, because it's two weeks, you know, you call in at Friday, at least in Benton County, and so I uh, called in yesterday and escaped the first week. So call back Friday and see if I can escape that. But I've been called the jury duty many times, and I've never, ever had to sit on the jury. So I'm hoping that this happens again. I've come close, you know, but, uh, uh, but then I've been in, in, in the other seat uh, because I had, like, some tickets. Anybody, anybody had to go to court for a ticket? You don't have to raise your hand. That's okay. Oh, nice. We got some brave ones here. Nice. Yeah, that's kind of scary, isn't it? You know, so you kind of always wonder, like, okay, how's this judge going to be, right? So here we have this courtroom scene here. And it says that there is not only a judge and not only is there this, this, this guy, the, the high priest, but there's also a prosecuting attorney. There is an accuser, and his name is Satan. You see this really clearly right here. Uh, and it says, uh, the Satan standing at the right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick? Snatched from the fire. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel of the Lord. What's the big deal? Well, you have to remember that this is a high priest, Joshua. And there's something about high priests that some of you know about, some of you don't. And that is this. That once a year, there was a day in the Jewish tradition called Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is, uh, today we translate that as the Day of Atonement. And once a year, on Yom Kippur, the 
high priest of Israel would leave his home. And he would often leave with a heavy heart because he was going to be doing something that only gets done once a year. As the Israelites kept putting up these tents, or whether it was in the Temple of Solomon, there, there was this, uh, this obvious uh, way that the sanctuary was taken care of. There was the outer court, there was the holy of holies, and, I mean uh, the, the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies, or what people would call the most holy place. And in the most holy place, there was this veil between the holy place and the most holy place in the sanctuary. And you, the only time that anybody ever went into the most holy place was once a year, by the high priest. Now, the high priest goes there, and he knows he's going to be going there, and there's a whole bunch of preparation that has to happen. And so he leaves his home, and I can just imagine how heavy his heart is. Honey, children, you know what daddy's doing? I hope if, hopefully I'll be back. I, I don't know. But that's, that's my hope. I'm not sure I think I did everything I'm supposed to do. Is, is, is my ephod on right? And then the night, that night before the day that he would go, he would have to stay up all night long and pray. When was the last time you stayed up all night long to pray? Intentionally, not because you couldn't sleep. So he stays up all night long to pray. There are fellow priests that stay up with him to encourage him. They read the Psalms to him. They, 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 they try to keep him awake. He has fasted all day long, by the way, and he is weak, but he is getting himself mentally, emotionally ready to do this. And then after that... Evening is done. In the next morning, he goes behind this curtain and he takes off his robe that is now sweaty and, and dirty from the day before. And they, put, they wash him. All the other priests, they wash him from head to toe. They scrub him. They make sure that there was not one spot because if there is one spot on this guy, if he is dirty at all in any way, he's going to go into that holy of holies, into the most holy place, and he's going to die. So they wash him, and then they put on a robe on him. They put on the hephod back on him, and all of a sudden he's, he's, he's dressed to go. They put bells on the bottom so that they can hear him jingling when he's inside. And then they tie a rope on him because if something were to happen, nobody's going in to get him. They would stop hearing the bells. They may even call out, but at the end of the day, nobody's answering. They got to pull them out. Sounds kind of strange because we don't live in that culture, but that's what's happening right now. <clears throat> and so they would put these clean garments on him. He would put blood. You can read about this in Leviticus uh, from the sacrifice in the outer cart, in the, on the earlobes, on the thumbs and toes. It was all part of the routine. Uh, they would take more time with him and, and talk with him. And then, and then all of a sudden you had this, uh, uh, this, this, this kind of container with the blood and you had this, this thing. 
and because he would go into the most holy place, and this is the way Leviticus describes it. It's really interesting. He would go into the most holy place, and then he would start sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat in the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and he would do that for his sins. Then he would have to come out. Bells are still ringing, no problem. At that point, they would have to take off all those robes because they were filled with blood, wash them again, put a new robes on, and then he would go back in, once again, blood on the earlobes and everything, go back inside and then sprinkle blood for the priesthood. And then he would come back again. He would do this three times, and then he would have to go back in, the same thing, wash everything, go back in, and then he would sprinkle the blood for the people of Israel. It was an amazing, amazing day. I mean, if everything went well, that means that the sins of Israel were forgiven and there was a, a celebration. It was solemn, but there was a celebration and it was pretty, pretty fantastic to experience. But there were times, although we don't read about them uh, in the Bible, uh, where, where the high priest, let's just say the bells stopped ringing. So we have this story in the vision where the high priest is standing and he is in filthy clothes. And he's standing before the angel of the Lord. He is in the presence of the Shekinah glory. And right next to him is the prosecuting attorney. It's Satan. And he is there to accuse him. That's his job. That's what he does. In fact, uh, pretty interesting, uh, the Bible talks more about Satan, the devil, accusing us than tempting us. Did you know that? There's much more in the Bible about what Satan does as far as accusing us as sinners than there is about him tempting us. We, we always get that wrong. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's why he's called the devil. The devil actually means the accuser of the brethren. That's, that's what the title means. The one who accuses. Uh, why does he do more accusing than he does tempting? Well, I'll tell you why. Because ever since Adam and Eve fell, we have this propensity to blow it all on our own. How are we doing? In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and what? Desperately wicked. The heart is. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21, it says, For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts. In James chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Each person, each one of us, there's not one person in here that isn't, each person is tempted when dragged away by their own evil desires and then enticed. So we, we do good just all on our own with temptation. But Satan, he's ready to accuse us. He accuses more than he tempts. He implicates more than he entices. He incriminates more than he baits. He points fingers way more than he needles. That is the job 
of the enemy. And that's what he's doing here. Have you ever been accused? Anybody here ever been falsely accused of something? Maybe, maybe not so much in court, maybe, maybe siblings. <laughs> I remember uh, one day, it was Christmas, some of you remember this story from a long time ago. Uh, my dad was this avid soccer fan, I mean, he just loved soccer. And we, uh, my mom and, 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 and some of us, you know, we were young, but you know, she kind of gathered our little bit of pennies that we had. We all chipped in to buy my dad. This is before the internet, just so you know. This is before you could uh, watch things, you know, on, on ESPN, you know. Uh, this is, uh, the, there was, we had to buy this radio called the Uno, like the game Uno, which means one. And the reason why it was called the Uno is because it only had Uno channel. <laughs> there was only one channel. It was a shortwave radio so that my dad can, on Sunday mornings, listen to the soccer games from Italy. This was like the most precious thing that we could ever think about getting him. He always talked about it. He always wondered, you know, oh, would that be great, you know, if we can have... I remember hearing him talking about it with my uncles and his friends, you know, one day I'm going to get the Uno, you know. And so we all chipped in. We, Christmas morning, we got the Uno for him. It was amazing. I'll never forget his, the way he felt inside, like when he opened that, he couldn't believe it. We got him this, this shortwave radio. And he was like, wow. And, you know, back then he would have to listen to these things through, and all you heard was, you know, but on the Uno, it was fairly clear. So he's listening to this, and, and, and so he's, he's, he's like, I can't believe you guys got this to me. This is fantastic, you know. And then he sits us down. First of all, I want to thank you, each of you, for getting me the radio. I love you for getting me the radio. This is one of the most wonderful gifts I ever had. Now I'm going to tell you something else. This here is my radio. <laughs> you know, go near the radio. You know, you know, breathe near the radio. You know, touch the radio. Because the day you touch the radio, you shall surely die. <laughs> You know, we're like, okay, you know. He's like, nobody. So for like weeks and months, nobody went near the radio. And then one day, the fall came. It was all good until then, but the antenna had been bent. And my dad gathered us all together. My mom and dad were there. My brother Claudio was there, 16 years old. My brother Sal was there, 13 years old. I was there, 11 years old. My sister was there, 8 years old. And my little brother Luciano, 9 months old, he was there too. They got us all in this big thing. And my father said, someone touched the radio. The radio broke now. And we don't leave here until somebody confess 
that you're the one who broke the radio. And we could stay here a long time. Eternity, maybe. You know how long eternity is? My mom is like, Frank, or you're scaring the children. Do you think it's a working? My father would say. <laughs> and then the moment came where Saul couldn't take it anymore, and he broke. And he buckled under the pressure, and he points at me, and he goes, Sergio did it. He did it. He's the one. I'm like, what are you and now we're going back. What do you mean? I never even went near the thing. He's going, you're the one. Come on, just say you're the one. I'm like, I get this. And all of a sudden, my mom said, stop. Sal, I know you're lying. She know that he was lying because, in fact, it was her that broke the radio while she was cleaning it. <laughs> she sent us all out. And we can only imagine that conversation afterwards. You know, we never saw my mom and dad fight. We knew they did. <laughs> Certainly on that day, there must have been some intense stuff happening. But I remember the feeling of being accused in that very intense moment. It was not a good feeling. And here is Joshua, and he is accused. And this is not a good moment. And Joshua... It says here, was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, because he's just been accused, they said, you know, the problem is he's, he's dirty, he's, he's filthy. So they said, take off his filthy clothes. So then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your what? Ah, do you see the picture here now? This courtroom scene, Joshua being the high priest, the high priest who represents the people of God, that high priest, that Joshua represents us. We're there. We're Joshua. And we're the ones who deserve <coughs> to be accused and to die. We're the ones who've got the bells around us. We're the ones with the rope around us. We're the ones who are standing before the Lord. This is the vision that Zechariah sees. And God says, no, look, I want to just make sure you understand. I have taken away your sins. Are you catching that little detail? You don't get to take your clothes off. You don't get to take the filth off and quash it, no matter how hard you try. You've been trying to do that ever since Adam and Eve put on the elaborated fig leaves. I want you to know right now that all of those attempts have been just equal to fig leaves. And I've been trying to teach you forever that it's not about you cleaning yourself up. I'm the one that's going to clean you. How cool is that? I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. I love that. It is God that takes it away, and it is God that clothes us with righteousness. I love this in, in John. It says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you would not sin. That would be the, like the best thing that could happen. But if anyone does sin if it would happen I love that word if because it means that we don't have to but he knows that the chances are we will 
So he says, if it happens, here's the good news. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. We have one that will take away the dirty clothes and put on the clean garments. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So we may have the judge, let's say God the Father, and then you have the prosecuting attorney, that's Satan, and then you have Jesus, who is our advocate. Jesus, who is our lawyer. Jesus, who is there saying, hey, I got this. And you know, in the criminal justice system, what's really important is who you know. To have just the right lawyer. Amen? I love this other slide. I love this one. Therefore, speaking of Jesus being our high priest, he is able to save somewhat. He is able to partially save. See, what is it about us that our brains are so, like, forgetful? Because I talk to people all the time that are constantly having to deal with shame and guilt because of something that they did a long time ago that they've asked forgiveness for, but they don't think God has forgiven. Look, he is able to save, what? Completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives, he always lives to intercede for them. He is able to save what? Turn to somebody next to you and say, you know what? He has completely done his job. Go ahead. Yeah, you're not saying like you believe it. And you're certainly not receiving it like you believe it. Come on, say it like you believe it. Man, he has completely done his job. And all we have to do is accept that. All we have to do is say, okay, I, Jesus, you're my lawyer. And so the question today really is this, what are you wearing? And I was doing some, some research in the Bible about this. And, 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 and I love some of these verses. And you may want to jot these down if you ever get depressed and discouraged and you have these, these dark moments. Here, here's one, Psalm 21, verse 5, that it says that God has clothed us with splendor rather than dullness. Anybody here feel dull? Guess what? You accept Jesus Christ. His clothing is, is, is clothing of splendor. It says that he has given us joy rather than sadness in Psalm 30, verse 21. I mean, uh, Psalm 30, uh, verse 11. It says that in Proverbs 31, 25, it says that he clothes us with strength and dignity rather than weakness and shame. In uh, Isaiah 61, verse 10, it says that he's clothing us with righteousness rather than evil intent. In 1 Peter 5, 5, it says that, that he clothes us with humility rather than arrogance. I don't know what you're struggling right now with, but God wants to put on a whole new wardrobe for you. God says, look, I, I, you know, throw away that stuff. That stuff is terrible. God has clothing for you that, that, that is so much more beautiful. In Revelation, in chapter 3, verse 5, it says that he wants to clothe us with victory rather than defeat. I love that. In Isaiah 61, verse 3, it says that he wants to console those who mourn in Zion. To give you beauty instead of ashes. You've been plucked from the fire. He wants to give you the oil of joy 
instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. That you may be called trees of righteousness. You may be called. You may be called. I know this sounds far-fetched. Spouses do not look at each other, but I'm going to tell you right now, God wants to call you a tree of righteousness. Planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. How cool is that? I don't know about you, man, but that to me just, just thrills me. In fact, it thrilled Zechariah. So much so that as the story continues in Zechariah, it says this. As, as, as if he's watching this vision and he's seeing that Joshua, the high priest, is getting new clothes and, and he's getting accepted by the king of the universe. And he's like all excited and he goes, then I said, put a clean turban on his head. <laughs> it's like, well, let's, 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 let's not just stop there. Put a clean turban on his head. Let's put a, come on, let's make him look right. Let's do this. You know, there's something about us that when somebody else gets salvation, when somebody else gets new clothes in the kingdom, uh, sometimes we, we, we look down on that. We, we, we get jealous, but not, not Zechariah. He's not jealous. He's celebrating this moment. And I think sometimes we as believers, especially, especially if we have, been, we, have, we have been believers for so long and we have kind of starting to take this for granted. We almost don't believe it's true, but trust me on this. It is a wonderful moment, and I want you to understand beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is a moment to celebrate. This is a moment to say, hey, come on. Let's put on more. Let's make him look really good. So put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and dressed him while they with Lord's angels stood there. And then the Lord's angel said to Joshua, this is what the Lord all-powerful says. If you do as I tell you and you serve me, you will be in charge of my temple and my courtyards. And I will let you be with these angels who are standing here. How cool is that? We have a promise in the letters to Peter that we are kings and priests. Queens and priests. All of you. There's not a person in here that God doesn't want to do this for. So what are you wearing this morning? And as you see others experiencing this transformation and they're, they're putting on the new wardrobe, are you championing? Are you excited as Zechariah was excited? There's a story, I'll end with this, during the American Revolutionary War. There was a man named Woodman from Ephrata, Pennsylvania. Been there. And he earned kind of a bad reputation for his verbal abuse of a pastor back in those days by the name of Peter Miller. He was the pastor of the Dunkirk Church of Ephrata, Pennsylvania. Subsequently, Wildemar enlisted in the Continental Army, and while he was still in service, he was discovered to be a spy for the enemy. So he was tried, he was convicted, and he was sentenced to be hanged. Miller had heard about the sentence, this pastor, and 
touched the cord in his heart, even though this was somebody that had given them a hard time all this time. And so he walked 60 miles to Philadelphia to intercede on Woodman's behalf. And when he made his plea before General George Washington, the general replied, I want to honor you, Reverend, but I'm sorry I cannot grant your request to spare your friend's life. At which the pastor said, Sir, he's not my friend. He's my worst enemy. George Washington says, you mean you walked 60 miles to plead for your enemy? Yes. He said, all right. Then I will sign the pardon papers. Signed the papers, and there was this, this step, this joy in the pastor's life, and he walked another 14 miles to where Wildman was awaiting execution. You think he was tired? And as he is walking towards Wildman, he, he saw, Wildman saw Miller coming, and he sneered at some of the fellow prisoners, uh, there comes old Pete, he comes to see me hanging. And Wildman says, oh, no, no, not, not at all. I mean, uh, the, uh, the pastor says, no, 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 not at all. And he's trying to make it through the crowd, and he gets up to the gate, and he says, here. And he gives him the, the papers, and he says, you are a free man. And Wildman was, like, bewildered. <laughs> what? You're a free man. I went and spoke to the general. You're a free man. Get out of here. Get him out of here. And so they read the papers, and they get him out of there. And the two embrace. And they were best friends for the rest of their lives. I think there are times when we need to be like Zechariah and encourage one another and champion one another and celebrate one another. Amen? And if you walk out of this room today not knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life, come and talk to me because I want to change your mind about that. Because most likely it's because you think there's some clothing you did not take off. And you're forgetting that it is Jesus that gets rid of our filth. In fact, the Bible says all our righteousness, our righteousness, is as what? Filthy rags. So go to Jesus. Let him do what he does so well. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stay with us, linger with us as we go our separate ways. As we, go. I pray that more than anything else, Lord, though, that we would accept your clothing of righteousness, your splendor, your joy on our behalf. May we walk out with praise on our lips.
because you have set us free. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.